So we looked at the last, uh, last chapter, uh, or last part of chapter 7 uh, last week, and we realized something that some, someone uh, said they listened to the sermon, uh, they were not at, the, at church, but they listened to it and they just said, man, that was really, really helpful for them because they, it was just a good reminder uh, of these truths. And, and I thought, you know, sometimes we do forget some basic things, but one of the basic things last week that we say man, people do sometimes forget, is that believers still sin. You may forget that because you uh, maybe, like, forget to really look in the mirror very often in the right way. But anyway, you you could think that. You could think maybe, well, mature believers don't sin. No, they do sin. Paul sinned. He struggled with sin. Uh, Also, uh, believers do not take sin lightly. Paul was not, Paul recognizing he did sin didn't say, well, that's no big deal. He, he, he didn't like that. Third thing, believers struggle with sin. So he's going to say, I sin, I don't like that I sin, I struggle with sin. And then fourthly, a believer's desire for holiness is an evidence of grace. One of the ways that I know that God is at work in me is that I am not comfortable in my sin, but striving to throw it off. And that is not an evidence of a rebellious person. That is an ev- that's evidence of a believer who longs to obey the Lord, but who struggles. So sometimes people will say to you, if you're really godly, if you're going to be confident that you have good standing with God, then it, perfection is all that can give you confidence. Paul would say, no, that's not true. Confidence comes, assurance comes when you say, wretched man that I am, who will set me free? Thanks be to God in Christ. Okay, so that's where we were. Now, um, so we could say very clearly, even in Romans 8 as we're looking at this, God intends for us to fight sin in the power of the Spirit. That's what He intends. You kind of have to learn. You have to grow in that and and understand that. You know, and sometimes it's just kind of recognizing the place that you're in so that you can kind of say, okay, I need to to learn to fight. Now, I've been listening uh, to um, the bio of Winston Churchill, uh, the third, one of the, it's a series, uh, but it's the third in a series called The Last Lion. And it's like, I mean, I don't even know how many hours. It's probably like 40 hours if you were to listen to it. But it, it's, it's just kind of laying out a lot of things of his life. But one of the things that I was reminded of is that, you know, before he became prime minister, he said, like, Hitler is going to be an issue. And everybody's like, he's a warmonger. You know, he's like wanting to get into stuff. You know, just whatever. Well, then when all the trouble, like, comes, guess who becomes prime minister? And guess who you wanted to be? I mean, you know, I mean, you wanted Winston Churchill to be at that place in that moment. And I think for us, it's um, important that we recognize, like, Paul is speaking to us, and you can't say, nah, I don't know if that's true. I mean, that's not a big deal. I don't struggle, or there's not that big of a struggle out there. But no, Paul's really saying, no, it's a real struggle and you really need to take heed of what I'm telling you. I want to help you uh, prepare yourself for the battle that is not just 
the, the battle that's raging that you may not even see very clearly. I want you to prepare yourself for that. And I want you to do so by walking by the Spirit. And I want you to see how the Spirit does that work. Most people, now here's the thing, just to kind of remind yourself. Most people might say, oh yeah, I know I'm a sinner. I'm in a desperate place or whatever. And so, they, but they try to fix their problem over and over again by themselves without any thought even a believer maybe, without any thought to how the Scripture teaches us to do it. It's like they perpetually fumble the ball. You know, or you might meet somebody and they'll say, I really need to change or we need to change. But then they love to save themselves so much that rather than going on to victory, they just keep messing it up. But in their arrogance, they think they're going to fix it. And so it's that kind of situation where you're saying, hold on just a second. We're not going to fix this our way. We're going to fix this the Spirit's way. And we've got to figure out how does the Spirit work and see that clearly because we want to, to, to see true, lasting change taking place. Okay, so let's move forward and kind of think about that. Now, one last thing to say is that it's... We are all, all who are in Christ are spirit-empowered, and so you don't run at this alone. There's no, in Christianity, there's no Lone Ranger kind of mentality. It is, you're, you're doing this together, seeking to strive to live a holy life together. Now, um, when you're thinking also about this text, just a couple other little things that Keller kind of brought out that I thought was really helpful. Uh, He says that um, when we really see this, that we can have no lasting pleasure in sin, we're going to wrestle with sin, um, and and that that, that God wants us to live a holy life, we can't go to this place of legalism where we say real Christians don't struggle with sin anymore, and we can't get to this place where we're permissive and say real Christians are human and just kind of sin. We have to really fight this the way that God has called us to do. And so hopefully today you will learn that, how we live by the Spirit. Now, let's do 8-1. Let's look at that together. This, you could say, is just the one thrust here is no condemnation. Paul's going to lay out these truths and talk about how the Spirit applies those in your life. So we start here. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Therefore, when you say, therefore, this older guy always used to say to me, like, son, when you read that, you know, I always heard him talk about it, like, you ask, what is that there for? What, you know, what's going on there? What are we looking back? Well, I mean, there's, in a way, you can kind of look back in the whole of the book, you know, but you could go back to chapter 3, and some people do that and say, listen, Christ took our guilt. God's wrath was satisfied with His Son. Some would say, well, look back at the last couple of chapters and you'll see that really in these previous two chapters that uh, we'll know that sin is still powerful, but we're no longer slaves to God in Christ. You know, there's multiple places you could go back and say, okay, I see that, I see this. But either way, the, the point is your future and your present is secure. God is not condemning you. God is, you're not under the condemnation of God. 
You are righteous in Christ's sight. This is real important. There's no guilty verdict left for you. When God's wrath was satisfied against you, you're not going to come up guilty later. Some people grow up in churches where you say, I'm condemned, I'm not condemned. I'm condemned today, I'm not condemned today. I'm condemned today, I'm not condemned today. No, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will not be condemned. That's what he says. There's none left. The guilty verdict was placed upon God's Son. He was pronounced guilty. And when He embraced that, willingly offered Himself, and God punished Him, there is no punishment left for you. And when He raised Him from the dead, He said, I am satisfied with what He accomplished. Victory has been won. So if you are still walking around wondering, am I condemned? Am I loved? Oh, I'm loved today. I'm condemned this next day. This is not what you want to do because this is not embracing a biblical teaching called the Gospel. It's a very clear teaching here. We are not guilty. God's wrath was satisfied. The truth is, we are accepted. That's the truth. If you miss that, It brings all kinds of trouble in your life. You know, I've been thinking about this. And and I read about it and and had some people talk about it. We can, and and people do, feel far more guilty than they should. Because they kind of continually carry this because they they don't want to hold fast to the gospel and the good news of the gospel. Other, in, in other ways, too, and, and I thought this was interesting. I think it was Tim Keller that said this. On the other hand, we'll have people that are far less motivated to live a holy life because they're only living out of a desire or out of a fear or a sense of duty. Now, this is kind of an interesting thought. And this is something you and I need to think about. Like, if your motivation is out of fear, how long does that last? Or a sense of duty, how long does that last? How long has it lasted? Until the next preacher like screams at you? How long does that last? It's, it's one of those things where you're just like, when we stop and consider the reality of this text, it makes it so much more than like you just being frightened that you're going to go to hell. It's not that we shouldn't be have a healthy fear of that, but, but this text is saying, listen, you're not condemned. You're not under the wrath of God. God's wrath was satisfied at the cross. You are in Christ. You are accepted. There was an example given where 
It's the, this way, it was explained this way, it's between a man who transgresses the law of the state versus a husband who has done something he should not done against his wife. Breaking the law of the state is a lot easier for you to get over than breaking the heart of your wife. If you are a Christian, and, and, and even if you could go with that further, when you break the law of the state, you know, you, you, you may legally be in trans, you know, under this kind of, you're going to go to court and be pronounced guilty or whatever. When you break the law of, of, of serving your wife, that's a totally different thing. It doesn't change your status of relationship, but what it does is it breaks your heart. So in the same way, if you're in Christ, if you know the Father, your relationship is there. When you sin, you're not looking at it and saying, oh, I'm out of the family. No, you're saying, I've, I, this one who's loved me so much, I've just broken his heart. Which one motivates you more? Or you could say it, breaking the heart of my child, or, you know, like breaking the speed limit. I mean, you, you, you think about that and you consider that, and I think it's just really important for us to say the no condemnation thing is so central to Romans that it, it becomes like the means by which your life is changed. The second thing he emphasizes is the issue of bondage. Look at verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. He's saying... You've been set free. Say, I don't know if I believe that. Well, you have been set free. You're no longer condemned, and you have been set free. That's, that's what Paul is saying to us. When you think about the idea here for the law of the Spirit, we understand this is not speaking of God's law. We're speaking of either a principle or a force. Uh, one, I think in our study guide it was noted that the issue there is the force or power. And you could say it this way, for the, the force of the Spirit of life has set you free from the force of sin and death. The power has come into your life and changed you. So verse 1 says, you're not legally condemned. God has declared you right. Verse 2 says, you have been delivered from the actual power of sin. I mean, that, that's like, you could stop there and say, okay, we're done. That, that's good. I mean, that's insane. That is just amazing. That is amazing grace. That is why he says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. You understand that? That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm find, found was blind, but now I see. It's, it's understanding that you're not condemned, you're not in bondage, and you keep reminding yourself of that truth. Now you might think, just like Paul understood, you might think, how did God do this? Look at verse 3 and 4. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. 
So God sent his son in the form of a human. He became man and dwelt among us. He became a sin offering. Second, God did not simply put, you know, he did not simply defeat sin legally, but he wiped it away so that we could walk in a new way. The work of the Spirit within us empowers us to to obey the Lord, to follow Him. We're not, you could say there's two things, and this is how John Stott describes it. We are set free from the law as a way of acceptance, but obliged to keep it as a way of holiness. We are accepted, we can say, I'm accepted. We are called upon to keep it because we say we want to live a holy life out of gratitude. Why would we want to offend someone who had done so much for us? The whole purpose of Jesus coming, or you could say one of the grand, I mean, you know, overarching purposes of Jesus' coming in Titus 2 talks about for us to be righteous, for us to be holy, so that when you're going against and saying, I'm going to box against God, I'm going to fight against Him, I'm going to rebel against Him, you're really like rebelling against the whole aim and purpose of the entire life of Christ. Why He came here. What He's seeking to do and accomplish. So again, you might be asking, okay, what Christ accomplished has set me free from sin's penalty and power. And we got that. We keep nailing that down. But we got that down. We understand that. Then you say, then how do I overcome with the Spirit? Now that I have this new power, how am I going to overcome? And, and, and I think it's always important to ask ourselves, and a lot of people get this wrong, you don't start with your behavior. You start with your mind. You start with the inside. Verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. He's basically saying just, it's not, and sometimes people think that like, well, um, it's just thinking about things of God, like it's, you know, is it just, you know, learning facts about the Bible? It's, It's a lot more than just learning facts. Setting your mind and heart on something is a lot more than just learning about the facts. It's really learning about what it's all about. What is the whole purpose? The Spirit is driving you to the purpose of all the facts. It's driving your heart in that way. And so it is one of those things where we're focusing intently upon the Spirit is even driving us to focus intently upon the things of the Spirit. The things of God. It takes time to develop this. It is something that we work towards. Something I most battle with personally is to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Now, what are the things of the Spirit? You have to ask yourself that because that's kind of a big question. What are those things? Again, it's not just like being able to be the best talker in Sunday school, you know, and to answer all the questions right. It's being preoccupied with what the Spirit is preoccupied with. You think about that in chapter 8. Look at verse 14. What is the Spirit? Those who are led by the Spirit, what do we learn about them? That they are what? Sons of God. 
So the Spirit certainly works that in us. That we're accepted in the Beloved. That we are in the family. Verses 26 and 27. The Spirit, what, is it, what does the Spirit do? It gives us, he gives us confidence in prayer that we can go before the Lord. He reminds us of that relationship and drives us towards that relationship. Verse 15 and 16, what does the Spirit do? Notice what He does. He, there, there's a removal of fear. The fear of rejection and assures us that we're children of God. So setting your mind on the things of the Spirit or setting your mind on the things that the Spirit is driving you towards. That's just something you consistently do. Evidently, the Spirit is driving us to understand our standing in Christ. He's moving us that way, directing us in that way so that we would set our minds on those things. Things that matter eternally. Things that deal with the issue of security. Things that drive us forward not out of necessarily out of fear but out of love I'll hear people talking about what they would do for their children or what they want to do for their father or that what they want to do for somebody in their life that means so much to them They've done so much for me. They've blessed me in this, this way and that way. Whatever They'll sacrifice anything. I, I, I've seen people where it's like their lifelong desire would be to like somehow bless the one who's done so much for them. And usually it's not like their warden. <laughs> right? I mean, it, 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 the motivation is not, oh... I'm going. It's like the difference if you're working with someone and they're like over you and they're like, I'm going to fire you. I'm going to fire you. Oh, that, that automatically motivates me to drive forward, you know? But somebody that cares for me, that's coming alongside me, that lifts me up, that wants me to shine, that wants me to become something greater than I ever thought I could be, that wants to like propel me forward... That kind of person that seeks my good, that, that, that looks for all the different ways that he can bless me, that's not thinking about himself constantly. Who do you think is most enjoyable to, to serve? Who do you think I want to write about? Who do you think I'd want to get up and stand there at their funeral and say, this person, this is what they did. See, you need to see God the way He is. And that is that He has brought you to a place that there's therefore now no condemnation. And you may live in a marriage, you may live in a family where it's condemned, 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 and they love to push people around and bully each other. But the reality is in God's family, it's not that way. He is not a bully. He is not condemning you. He rescued you. He loves you. He is for you. He is seeking your good. Set your minds on the things of the Spirit. 
You're thinking about what God has said He's done for you is what Paul says. Remind yourself of His love for you. Remind yourself of what He's accomplished for you. Remind yourselves of these things. Where is He driving you? The mind that is on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The mind that's set on the flesh is treating God and the desires of the Spirit as an enemy. The one who sets their minds on the things of God. They're not hostile towards God. They treasure what God treasures. They treasure the truths that God is pushing them towards. They treasure it. They see it. They're motivated by His love. They're driven to see what He is like and they try to demonstrate that to others. Verse 9, 10, 11, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. If you are in Christ, the Spirit dwells in you. And there is a struggle. There's a battle with the flesh. There's no doubt that there is. But we need to understand, we need to remind ourselves that the Spirit is driving us and moving us. He's moving us towards life, not death. Spirit is working that in us. We're being renewed. Someday, these bodies that are just racked by sin and struggling with sin and desiring this fleshliness that's a part of us, it will pass away. We, we might say sometimes, like, that flesh is so strong, but the Spirit is alive in you and the Spirit is working in you. And you're looking forward by faith that one day your spirit and body will be totally made right before God. Now... When we look at verse 12 and 13, we'll have to kind of speed it up here a little bit. But when you look at verse 12 and 13, I was reminded this week of just reading, and Ryan brought this out um, in, in today, even the issue of mortification. There's some really famous people that wrote about that uh, in different contexts. But, you know, sometimes going back to old school thoughts are really, really helpful. Some people that have thought a lot about what does it mean to kill sin in your life? What does it mean to have this, like a ruthless pursuit to like kill sin? Verse 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What's he talking about? Saying, listen, when you get in your mind that you are a debtor. See, this, a person that really understands that they're no longer condemned even though they deserve to be condemned. 
A person that understands how weak they really are and that only by the grace of God there's power to do anything. That person is a debtor. He's not owed anything. That person is saying, why would God do this to me? Why does God allow that? I've been so good, God. And they go through this long list. That's not somebody that's a debtor. That's not somebody that sees God for who He is. That's not someone who has seen their sin for what it is. That is not the way of someone who has seen the radical work of the Spirit in their life. A person who knows what has happened to them and the standing that they have by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That person is a debtor. That person says, good night, I will never, I will never, not in my wildest dreams will I ever be able to bring enough to the table that would allow me to say, God, you, you, I, you owe me. You owe me. Look what I've done. Only a fool would say, you owe me. He does not owe me. He paid the debt I could not pay. And I will never pay. So, Christian sees how indebted they are to God with gratitude, not fear, but with gratitude in their hearts, they offer themselves to Him. And they long to put to death the deeds of the flesh. They're not saying, I'm going to wean myself off of sin. They want to go out. And you're going to be like, good night. And beat it to death. That's. It is so offensive to them. They want to crush it. Every little piece of it. And they don't just want behavior modification so mommy will be happy with them. They want it down to the very root. When I train my kids, I don't want just good kids that obey me, walk around, do exactly what I say all the time. That's nice at times, for sure. But I want a much deeper change. I want them to be so overwhelmed by the gospel. So overwhelmed by the death that they could never pay. So overwhelmed by the glorious message that God has provided in Christ. Salvation and acceptance. So overwhelmed by that. That they say, I have been experienced grace so powerfully. Spirit's working in me. I want sin to be trampled. I want to cut it off at the root. And I want it to be out of my life forever. That's what weakens the power of sin in my life. In summary, one author noted, when we kill sin in the Spirit, when we turn from Sinful practice, practices ruthlessly 
and turn our heart from sinful motivations with a sense of our debt to love and grace by minding the things of the Spirit. When we do that, this is what it means to live a life by the Spirit. So, a couple of years ago, I joined the Texarkana Gun Club because I was going to learn how to shoot a pistol really well. <laughs> and my dad had a twenty-two pistol, and I thought that would be fun. And uh, he let me use it, and it was like a, a pretty nice pistol. And I thought, I'm going to go out there with those guys and learn how to do that. And I did go out a couple of times. But one day I was out there, and there were these two guys that ran together alongside one another in like kind of their buddies. And they would shoot, and I'd heard they were pretty good shots, you know. And I get out there, and I'm watching them, and I look up, and they stand up there. And when the bell rings or whatever, they take off shooting. It sounded like a fully automatic gun going off, and stuff was just falling over. You know, the next one got up there, like that, and I was like, good night. You know, you don't even want to talk to them. You know, you're like, I'm not getting in line with those guys. You know, it's like, but one of the things that I thought about this week with that is that, um, Walking by the Spirit is this journey where we're trying to learn how to practice with one another, to refine one another, kind of as iron sharpens iron, to demonstrate for one another what does it mean to go against sin with an insane, intense desire to destroy it. Discipled, spiritual warriors that are going in to eradicate sin with one another. Helping each other to walk by the Spirit. That's what we want to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would remind us that we are not condemned and that we have been set free and we, help, we pray that you would help us apply that to our work, to our relationships, to our church life, to our private life, that we would be known as those who walk by the Spirit in the power and the strength that you provide and do so together. In Christ's name, amen.